This is a great day to be able to emphasize fathering. And I want to present to you a message this morning that will certainly go along the lines of the theme that have, has been our portion today. And that is a message about fathering with a title, A Father Like Our Heavenly One. I'd begin this morning by saying, don't you hate it when someone says something like this? Maybe it's an older person, a person in authority, or maybe even your parents. And they say, oh, why aren't you more like your brother? Or when someone says, boy, he's sure not like his sister, is he? Or maybe even someone who we might want to hold in high esteem and someone says, well, why aren't you like so-and-so? Or maybe even this, when someone says, boy, he sure isn't like his father, is he? That's really some measure of unkindness, actually, and a bit unsettling, because none of us can really be exactly like someone else. We have our own personalities, we have our own gifts, we have our own abilities, and it is a bit unfair to always and forever compare ourselves with those around us, and certainly at times, unfairly being a compared with some in our own family. But having said that, however, there are scriptural warrants for us to be able to say, at least in part, that we should be like those around us. In fact, look in your Bibles at uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This is an interesting verse that tells us to do the very thing that I said can be unsettling. And that there is, however, scriptural warrant to encourage our behavior to be like others. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So you see, there is an idea in the Bible that encourages us to be like those around us. We are, of course, encouraged to be like those of whom it is said here, who taught us the Word of God for whom we look at their faith and we are called upon to emulate that faith, to represent our faith like theirs. Turn also to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And Paul makes an amazing statement for which I'm sure all of you, like myself, are very much leery of saying, to others, but Paul apparently was not. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I'm sure that if he had wanted to pin 
more words in this first verse, he would have said, and when I'm not like Christ, don't imitate me. But we know that Paul was a very godly man. And he could say with full confidence and under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so there is, again, biblical warrant for us to say to ourselves and to others about ourselves and about them that we are called upon to imitate others in the faith. As they follow Christ, we're supposed to follow them. Indeed, in Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, Paul goes on to say when he talks to the Philippians, these words, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, four things, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, and what you've seen in me, what are the next words? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. That's fairly comprehensive. Paul is telling us that he is a model, not the model, a model and an example to follow in what can be learned from him and received from him and heard about Him and seen in Him. We are to practice those things. So we're really not far off, even though at times it may be a bit unkind or unsettling, to say, be like so-and-so. We could just as easily say, be like Paul. As he follows Christ, you follow Christ. We could say, for instance, about someone that you respect or someone that you esteem, Be like them. Follow them as they follow Christ. And as I was thinking about this idea of following those around us, of course, at the top of that list is the opportunity to follow godly men. And especially, of course, because of what today is, June 15th, 2008, Father's Day. Following fathers. Now, of course, you might be saying, well, I'm not a father. In fact, I'm not even a male. Well, that's all right. As we teach today, just in your own mind, think of yourself as a child of God, a child of God who wants to be able to follow those around you or even ultimately to say, as a child of God, I want to be able to follow my heavenly Father. In fact, really, that's a great challenge for all of us today, especially those of us who are fathers, to ask a question like this. On Father's Day, what does it mean to be a father? What are the characteristics? What are the principles? What are the ideas that make up being a godly, holy, successful Father in our world. What is defined by being a father who is like our heavenly one? Well, I thought a lot about that this week, 
And I've come up with, at least in my own mind, and I'm certain that there are many, many others, but I've come up with, in my own mind, ten portraits. Ten portraits of what it means to be a father like our heavenly one. Here's the first one. The first one. A loving father. A loving father. If you were to walk away from this message and ask yourself whether you're a father or a grandfather or a would-be father or just a child of God who wants to grow to be like your heavenly father, what kind of portrait, what kind of idea could you come up with? It's amazing to me that the New Testament gives for us these portraits By saying, I want you to compare yourself as a child of God and for us today as a father to your heavenly father. There's an invitation to compare yourself with God the Father. Now, I said a moment ago, it seems at times a bit unfair and somewhat unsettling for someone to say, be like so-and-so, or you're not like so-and-so. How about the comparison of yourself or myself to our Heavenly Father? Is that a bit unsettling? I can't say that it's unkind, because we're invited to do that very thing. We're invited to become like God. We're invited to mirror His image. In fact, the whole process of the Christian life is to conform us to the image of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that exact representation of His nature. And so while it may be a bit unsettling, it is not unkind at all. In fact, it is the very plan of God. And the first portrait that God gives us, at least in my little list, is comparing your life as a father and whether or not you're loving when compared to your heavenly father as the ultimate loving father. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and I want to show you this. As I said, the scripture compares us or at least challenges us in the comparison to be like our heavenly father, a God of love. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43, Matthew 5, 43. This wasn't what the Old Testament taught, but this is what some coming out of the Old Covenant era thought era that the Bible did teach. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said. Not what the Bible says, but this is what you have heard it was said by those who believed that they were representing the Bible, but were not. And here is what many in Jesus' day heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now if you really, really knew your Old Testament, you would know this, that the Bible says, love your neighbor and love your enemy. But somehow it had become twisted and turned into a proverb, as it were, that... Maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and other religious leaders had begun to actually teach that somehow we are being taught to love our neighbor and hate our enemy. But notice what Jesus says. He corrects that, verse 44. But I say to you, His authoritative voice, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's radically different than love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. He's saying, I'm already giving you the idea that loving your neighbor is to be taken for granted. Of course you should do that. I want to center in on the idea that some have said, hate your enemy, and I'm telling you, you're to love your enemy. And as a father, you could pick out any number of persons, I'm sure, in your life, or maybe not even directly in your life, but others in our world for which you could say, there's every reason in my heart to hate that person as my enemy. Rather, as a father and as a loving father, you should emulate God the Father who loves His enemies. Notice what Jesus says, verse 45. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see the comparison? If you want to know how to love not simply your neighbors, that's a forgiven. You can take that for granted. That's obviously what we're supposed to do. That's what has been consistently taught. But Jesus says, I'm telling you, you ought to also love your enemies and I invite you to compare how to do so with the very heavenly Father that we have with each other because that's exactly what He does. How does He do it? Verse 45, For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You see, it's for granted. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And then this incredibly important but difficult verse. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, if you want to know on Father's Day how to emulate your heavenly Father, love not only your neighbors, but love your enemies as well. That's what God does. He sins rain on the just and the unjust, and He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good. And if you want to be like Him, be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. He perfectly loves both neighbors and enemies. Does it not say in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so, what? Loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is love. That is love, my friends. And does it not also say in John chapter 16, verse 27, the Father Himself loves you. The Father loves you. If you want to know how to be a father, if you want to have the greatest gift that you could give to your children on Father's Day, it is to understand and to emulate and to represent your heavenly Father who loves you. Just turn around and love others like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 makes this magnanimous statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. 
a loving Father. You want to know how loving the Father is? You want to know how you can emulate Him? How you can pattern your life after Him? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He loves us. Just turn around and love others. Fathers, love others. Love your neighbors, love your enemies. Child of God, love your neighbors, love your enemies. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God, Ephesians 5, 1 says, as beloved children. We're beloved children of the beloved Father, and we're called upon to be imitators of that beloved Father. And I can't Get away from talking about being a loving father without drawing your attention to chapter 3 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. This nails it for us here. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. You want to know? How to love others? Know the kind of love the Father has given to you. That is an amazing statement. And look at chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for He is in you, and He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest in us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to the to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God, but when you love, you show the God of love who is abiding in you because the reason you love is because God first loved you. You want to be a loving father? Know what a loving father looks like? On Father's Day, look at a loving Father, a loving Heavenly Father. Secondly, not just a loving Father, but a giving Father. A giving Father. Go back to Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Not just a loving Father, but a giving Father. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. This is amazing. Ask, Matthew 7, 7, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
Notice the comparison. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You see, the Bible right here is inviting us to look at our Heavenly Father and how He gives good gifts to us as His children and He's good and righteous and holy and altogether loving and perfectly giving. And He's saying, if you compare your life as a father and if your son came to you and said, Dad, give me this gift, you wouldn't give him something completely different, would you? And if you're evil as a father, which means we don't always give as we ought to our sons, inexplicably so, look at your heavenly Father who always gives you in His will what you ask from Him. That is a remarkable comparison. You want to be a good dad? You want to be a good giving dad? You want to be known by your children and by others around you as someone who is not only loving, but graciously a giver? Then be like God the Father. We're evil, and sometimes we don't always follow through on giving the right kinds of gifts to our children and to others. So therefore, in order to look at the perfect picture, look at your Heavenly Father who always gives according to what we need and according to what we ask in His sovereign will and purposes. Look at Luke 11. Same context, more teaching. Luke 11:5, And He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, that is, within the house, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. See, it's the context of giving. Verse 8, I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet... Notice this, because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And Jesus said, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then similarly, similarly like Matthew 5, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? The rhetorical question is, no, no, Father, no. Self-respecting, gracious, loving, giving Father would do that, would He? Or if He asks for an egg, we'll give Him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, your greatest need is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, He's going to graciously, graciously give it to you. Look one chapter later at chapter 12 of Luke's Gospel, verse 32. I love this. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What a gift. The gift of the kingdom of God? That's how giving the Father is. That's how giving He is. John chapter 16. These are portraits of a giving Heavenly Father that ought to be our portraits on Father's Day. Chapter 16, verse 23. In that day, Jesus said, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You're going to ask for the Holy Spirit. You're going to be granted the Holy Spirit. Ask whatever in my name. And Jesus says, my Father will give it to you because He's a giving Lord. He's a giving Lord. Do you remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.19? My God shall supply what? All your needs. All your needs. You want to know how to give back a gift? Several of you, I'm sure, as fathers, will be given gifts today. I hope mine is coming. But (laughs) if you want to be a giving father in return, give to your people the gifts that they need. Haven't you, as a father, had that experience where your child comes to you and says, Dad, I really, really want this. And if it's in line with goodness and truth, if it's in line with your purposes and plans for them, what do, what do your heartstrings do? Of course I want to give it to you. Of course I will work overtime for it. Yes, I will work my fingers to the bone so that you may have it. And that pales in comparison to what our Heavenly Father wants to give us, and that is the Holy Spirit and the very kingdom of the living God. Thirdly, He's not only a loving and a giving Father, but a forgiving one. A forgiving one. You're in Luke's Gospel. Look at chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We don't have time to go over all of these lost passages, quote-unquote, In all of chapter 15, you have parables by Jesus on something that was lost and now is found. You have the parable of the lost coin in verses 8 through 10. You have the parable of lost sheep in verses 4 through 7. And you have also, of course, the lost person, the prodigal son in verses 11 to 32. And all of them, my friends, speak of... The Father seeking those who are lost and finding them and rejoicing. In all of these, there are pictures. In the parable of the sheep, there is joy in heaven, according to verse 7, over one sinner who repents, even more so than 99 persons who were never lost. Verses 8 and And 9 and 10, it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors, and she says, Rejoice with me, because I found it. 
And what of that marvelous picture in verses 11 to 32 that talk about the prodigal son who was utterly lost and who comes to his senses by God's grace and is found and walks back humbly and repentantly to his father and the father has a forgiving spirit. This is really not a tale of the prodigal son as much as it is a parable of the forgiving, gracious Father. If you want to know on Father's Day how to be a good dad, be a forgiving one. There may be relationships, maybe even relationships between you and your children that are awry, that are amiss. What better gift could you give them than to say, we've got to get together. We need to reconcile. Or maybe a praying dad who has uttered those words and has been spurned by a lost son. Your prayers could be heightened today on this very day and no doubt surely are because you want that prodigal to return. Work on what you can work on and that is being as much as is possible a forgiving dad. The opportunity to keep the light on as it were until the prodigal comes home and then your embracing of Him with forgiving love. A loving Father, a giving Father, a forgiving Father, and fourthly, a spiritual and truthful Father. Look at John chapter 4. And you can tell what I'm doing. I'm just rehearsing through canonically the New Testament and showing these pictures of our Heavenly Father and asking the question, how do we compare? How do we compare with this Wonderful Father of ours. John chapter 4, verse 23. This is a picture of a spiritual and truthful Father. Jesus said, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. You know what Jesus is saying? God is in His essence not like you and I. He's not in His essence someone who has a body, who has flesh and bones. God the Father is a spirit. In other words, the essence of who God is is spiritual. He is in essence a spiritual being and He is in essence truth. He is spiritual and truth. And the one who comes to Him must come to Him in that way that is spiritually and truthfully. And when you come, you are worshiping Him as He is. He is spirit and truth. And when you come to Him and worship Him in the way that He designs and the way that He demands, you will come to Him in spiritual life and with spiritual truth. Do you know that the greatest gift of all on a Father's Day that you could give your children, your spouse, your grandchildren, all of those around you, is to be a spiritual man? Notice I didn't say a church-going man. That's important. But the two aren't exactly synonymous, are they? It's one thing to be a church-going man. It's one thing to be a giving man. It's one thing to be a serving man. 
It's entirely another to be spiritual at your core. To be a person who thinks spiritual things, who discerns spiritual realities, who wants to be spiritual in the essence of his being, who cares about God and who loves God and who wants God at the center of his life, who wants to be utterly God-centered and Christ-focused, spirit-driven, and to be a lover of divine truth. That's what Jesus is laying out here in John 4. He's saying to the woman at the well and to anybody else who would listen, look, you think you worship in a certain way. You think you worship on a certain mountain. And maybe that was true eons ago, but I'm telling you now, I who stand before you, I am the way and the truth and the life. And one day there will be a Holy Spirit who will descend upon His worshipers and they will worship not on a mountain, Not in any other designated place, but in their heart. Because in their heart, they have the Holy Spirit residing within. And they now become a spiritual being in their essence. And they're led by divine truth. That's what it means to be a worshiper in spirit and truth. And you do that and you're just like your heavenly Father. Because He is spirit and truth. Look at John chapter 8 verse 31. Emphasizing again the matter of truth. Jesus said in John 8.31, He said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, that is truth, you are My true disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what was the Jews' response? What are you talking about? We're of Abraham. Abraham's our father. You know, Abraham was a godly man, Abraham was a faithful man, but Abraham in Jesus' teaching here was far less a standard than what he was referring to. He wasn't trying to get them to see their physical parentage. He wasn't trying to get them to see that Abraham was physically the one for whom they had descended, not so at all. Jesus wanted them to see that He Himself was not just someone who descended from Abraham, but that Jesus Himself was descending from His heavenly Father. And He was trying to tell them, that's not where you are, and that's not whom you've come from. Yes, it is true, you may have Abraham as your father, but I'm telling you, I'm from my heavenly father, and you don't recognize that because you're not from him. That's not your father. In fact, notice what he says. Verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yes, I know that. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, my heavenly father, and you do what you have heard from your father. He just set them up. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, that is, spiritually speaking, you would be doing what Abraham did. And what was that? To welcome my day. 
to long for my day, to see me for who I am. But now you seek to kill me instead of worship me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality, implying that Jesus was. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Don't be a father of the devil. Be a spiritual and truthful Father. Where the essence of your life is not pursuing yours and your Father's lustful desires, but to be God-centered, Christ-focused, spiritually alive to the things of the Spirit, and to be at heart and mind and love and desire a person of truth. Number five, a comforting father. A loving father, a giving father, a forgiving father, a spiritual and truthful father, and a comforting father. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is beautiful. This is another portrait of who our heavenly father is and what he can give to us by way of replication. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Notice this, verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You want to know how to comfort? You want to know how, as a dad, as a child of God, to comfort others? Know the comfort of your Heavenly Father. Study it. Know it. See it. Perceive it. Know how He comforts. And when He comforts you and your affliction, and you experience it, and you see the God of all comfort coming to your aid, then turn around and comfort others with which you have been comforted by this comforting by God. This is, this is a comforting Father. Look at chapter 7 of this same book. Chapter 7, verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by His coming, but also by the comfort with which He was comforted by you. You see, this is a living illustration. He says in chapter 1, here's the comfort of God. Then you turn around and comfort others. And I'm going to give you a living illustration. Titus, who comforted you because he was comforted by God. Be a dad who comforts others because of the comfort that you've received by God Himself in your life through your affliction. This is amazing. Number 6, a consistent father. A consistent father. 
You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction and admonition of whom? The Lord. There you have it. If you want to know how to train your children, if you want to know how to discipline your children, do it in the Lord. Do it in the Lord. As God the Father can be seen in Scripture as one who disciplines His children and instructs them, do it the same way. See the pattern. Replicate it. I love what James chapter 1 verse 17 says about the consistency of our God and Father. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, Notice this, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No shifting shadow with our Heavenly Father. This may be my greatest challenge as a dad. It might be yours to be consistent. To be consistent. How do you consistently parent? How do you consistently give gifts? How do you consistently love how do you take these children of you, of yours and treat them all the same? How do you love them? How do you give gifts to them? How are you consistent with them? Continue in your life to see the pattern of who your heavenly Father is and how consistent He is. There is no shifting shadow. There is no variation. He is utterly and perfectly consistent. Live that way. First. Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Your Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. He's impartial. He's consistent. He's changeless. What a challenge for us as dads. Not just with our parenting of our children, but just in life in general. To be consistent, dads, are you consistently in the Word of God? Are you consistently in prayer? Do your children know of this? Do they see this? Do they perceive this? Do they know about you that you are changeless, that you are consistent with regard to the Word and prayer? So vital. So vital for them to see. And so vital for them to see how that works out in your life. You say, well, how do you do it? Strive to be as consistent as is your heavenly Father who doesn't change, no variation. He doesn't have mood swings. He's not one day happy as a lark and the next day as angry as a bull. He's perfect, consistent, changeless. Strive to that standard. Number seven, A sanctifying Father. A sanctifying Father. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure." You say, how does that mirror the character of God? 
Well, what does Paul say in Philippians 2.12 and following? Work out your salvation. Work at it with fear and trembling. Work hard in the separateness of the Christian life. Work hard at consecration. Work hard at dedication. Work hard at sanctification. And by the way, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He's working as you work. How does He work? He's utterly separate, utterly devoted, utterly dedicated, utterly committed to seeing His work in you come to pass. And so how should you be? Utterly dedicated, utterly committed to the work that you know is your responsibility to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's a sanctifying Father. That is, He's committed to doing His work in you. You ought also to be committed to do the work that you're responsible for. Number eight, a chastising Father. A chastising Father. You know we had to go there. We have to go there. Because this is one of the clearest pictures of our Heavenly Father and a portrait of what He does to us. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Notice it. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, the chastising of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He What? He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Every son of the Father is loved and every loved son is disciplined, chastised, beaten, beaten into being a blessing. The rod of reproof, spiritually speaking, is for those whom God loves. And people are going to say, I don't get that. I'm assuming that if I'm a son of this kind of heavenly father, that I'm going to get all the goodies. That everything's coming my way. I'm on easy street. No. There is so much wickedness and evil in our lives, even in our regenerate condition, that we spend the rest of our lives being beaten so that that can be jettisoned from our lives so that we can be a blessing to others. Notice the theology of it. Verse 7 of Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you don't have any discipline in your life from the Father, none, zero, no pattern or trace of discipline at all, means you're not a son of the Father. Illegitimate. Verse 9, besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. You know, I always hope that that verse will be uppermost in the minds of my children when I give them the rod. Maybe not right at that moment, but later on, they'll say when they get older and more experienced, and especially when they have children of their own, and they say, you know what? I get it now. I get it. 
When I see my own child being disrespectful and disobedient and needs correction, I understand why it was given to me. I understand that now. I respect my mom and dad. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? If these earthly parents disciplined you for your good and you respected them, should you not also utterly respect the Heavenly Father who disciplines you for your good? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, which is always that verse I love, and whenever I don't have a verse, when I say don't do that, they say, but why? And I say, because it seems best to me. But He disciplines us, that is God, God the Father, for our good, that we may share His what? His holiness. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is a portrait of our Heavenly Father. He's a chastising Father, and if you would be a good dad, you would be one of those who chastises your children when they need it, and appropriately so, and in love, and with an attention and a purpose and a principle behind it. I've actually heard dads glory in some statement like this. I've never laid one hand on my kid. I've never disciplined them ever. And look how they've turned out. There are probably some things for that dad he knows not of. The Bible says, discipline your children and do it like the Father does. Number nine, a wise father. Just turn one chapter, or one book, James chapter three. We're soon done. James chapter three. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Why? Because this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. That's heavenly wisdom. But the kind of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom from your heavenly Father, it is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Oh, what a grand gift to your children to be wise. I told you when we started the study of the book of Proverbs nine years ago, I think now, that part of the reason I wanted to commence that kind of study was that my children were young and that I needed it and that they needed it and that I knew you needed it. That's the blessing of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, that it just pours forth wisdom after wisdom after wisdom statements so that you and I can have the wisdom that's from above that is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. I don't want the kind of earthly wisdom that is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and boasting and falsity to the truth. 
Oh, my friends, if you want to be a wise father, just look at your heavenly father. He's ultimately wise. And then finally, a holy father. A holy father. Again, one book over, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. You know it well. But, 1 Peter 1, 15, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That says it perfectly. If you ever aspire to holiness, it will be because He is holy. If you want to be holy, just pursue His holiness. I mean, this is ten amazing, wonderful series of portraits, a loving Father, a giving Father, a forgiving Father, a spiritual and truthful Father, a comforting Father, a consistent Father, a sanctifying Father, a chastising Father, a wise Father, a holy Father. And we see all of it, my friends, all of it contained in the exact representation of God the Father's own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom... Colossians 1.19 says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You know, we aren't left with these snapshot vignettes of ten portraits of a heavenly Father that we may or may not be able to understand and see lived out in a powerful way. You can see it lived out in a powerful way in the person of Christ. Look at... Christ, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, in whom, that is Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 9, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You don't have to wonder. Just be like Christ, who Himself wasn't an earthly Father, but He was God the Father's Son, and He is the perfect, exact representation of His nature. That's what Hebrews 1, 1-3 says. Oh, have no doubts, my friends, about how to be a father today. You can see it in our Heavenly One and in His Christ. Let's pray together. Father, these are far beyond us, far beyond us. Without your power, without your person, without your presence. And Lord, I pray that with your power and your presence, and your person, we would be like Christ for whom you delight as a son. Oh Lord, let us hear this message and let us mirror who you are so that we might be the fathers you would have us to be. Pray in Christ's name.
Amen.